0: you are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the bible baptist church in marysville california we hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message your soul today almost reminds you back when you were a kid and You just feel so good inside because you're eating cotton candy. And I don't know if you just feel like you just took a big bite of cotton candy right there, but your soul, your spirit just being ministered to this morning. And thank you for that. A good song and powerful song, the fact that it is finished. So we're in Galatians. We're looking forward to it. And just a quick review from Wednesday night to bring everyone up to speed. Galatians is all about the gospel. And here in Paul, verse number 7 explicitly, uh, there's a false group of people bringing in another gospel, which Paul says is not another gospel. And they're in the church of the region of Galatia. Unlike Ephesus, that's a singular church. Uh, here in, in Galatia, it's a series of churches. It's a region of churches. Uh, there's, there's Lystra, Derby. Uh, there's Antioch. And this is where Paul is preaching to this region. He would have first went there on his first missionary journey. So it's a quick rehab, uh, but here's a little bit we're gonna dive into today. Uh, but Paul, he, is, he comes out kind of heated. He comes out a little bit ticked, annoyed. Uh, he, is, uh, he is upset, he's marveling, he's astonished. Uh, we had everyone say flabbergasted. If you would like to say that, you can whisper underneath your breath right now even. That's what Paul was. Uh, In Galatians, as he's writing this letter, uh, verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He was just shocked and astonished. And he sums up beautifully what the gospel is in verse number 4. He says, who gave himself, this is talking about Christ, just in verse number 3, for our sins, that word for means in behalf of or in part of, for our sins, that's our substitute Uh, We needed that. Why? Because the next phrase tells us why we needed it, that he might deliver. We needed to be delivered or to be rescued. We were hopeless. We were lost. The Bible says we were, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So this is the gospel right here. Christ gave himself. He substituted his life for our life. It is finished, that's the song we just sang. The battle is over for life and death. That has been won by cross and then, or by Christ on the cross. And verse number one, the Father, what did he do? He raised him from the dead. Verse number three, the Father gives us, gives us grace and peace. And why does he do that? Verse number 4D, the will of God and our Father. He gives us the gospel simply because of grace. There's no other word for grace but amazing! That is what God did for us. That's our recap, and now we're diving in today. I hope you guys are excited. I'm excited. We're going to have a great time just opening up the Word of God. Listen, put a smile on, because I ha- I blur you out anyways. I my eyes just stay locally up here, so even though I have decent vision, you're blurred. So here we are. We're back in it. Now uh, there's the picture. If you want to look at Galatia, that's the region. It's actually modern day Turkey. It's right over there by, uh, it's up up the coast from Jerusalem. So Paul would have went there on his first journey back. And he is really refuting. uh, They took a lot of the Mosaic law and they brought it into the church. Uh, They added it to to salvation. They added it to Jesus' gospel. And uh, we know to add anything to Jesus is actually a deadly subtraction. And so Paul is going into that and he's refuting it. He's blocking it out. And he even goes on to defend his own apostleship. Uh, because he was an apostle, a capital A apostle, sent by Jesus, commissioned by Jesus himself. Acts chapter nine, he saw the risen savior. And so Paul defends himself because he, le- he wants to let them know this is not my message that I just heard that I came to my own conclusion. I have been given this by the risen Jesus himself. So here's where we pick up uh, verses 10 through end of chapter two, uh, of, of verse 21 of chapter two, this is known as the autobiography of Paul. Uh, in fact, it's the most extended autobiography of any of his letters. He goes also into some details uh, in the book of Acts as well. Acts 22, 26, uh, he's talking before Agrippa and he's on trial. He gives his testimony at that time as well. Uh, but interestingly enough, you know, we are supposed to share our testimony for sure. But Paul doesn't share his testimony to point to himself or to lift up himself at all or to inspire He uses his testimony to disprove the false accusations and ultimately his testimony to point to God's amazing grace. Our testimony is powerful and it points to God's grace. How he saved and reclaimed us, how he reclaimed Paul, and that is what we're going to see here through Galatians. Uh, So, uh, verse 13, we kind of ended with our scripture reading. We're going to be looking at that verse. I'm going to get back to verse 10 uh, and 11. Those are the enjoyable parts of it. So, we're going to end the sermon with that. We're going to get through uh, the rest of the chapter. Then go right back, if you would let me, which I'm sure you will, uh, to verse number 10. Uh, So, Paul's counterclaims. Paul has to refute. In verse number 7, it gives us the idea here uh, that there would be uh, trouble There, there. but there be some that trouble you, and though some people, they pervert the gospel of Christ. So Paul here, he's going to be refuting these claims that they're, they're troubling the church. They came in, they, they're, they're starting to bring another gospel. So Paul, he has to, before he gets started with Galatians, he has to refute these claims. And how he does so is by number one, verse 13. For ye have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion... How that beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. He was literally one of the biggest enemies of the church of Christ. Uh, He was wasting it. If you know any of Paul's formal life, it would have been named, would have been Saul. Uh, He was a great persecutor of the church. He went around, and we're going to talk a little bit more in that in detail about who Paul was. I won't give too much detail, but... The Bible says he wasted it. He wasted the church of God. That would have been someone, if you saw him in the area, security would have been on red alert, seeing him walking by and through. They would have been definitely fearful of just this one man. Uh, he was the biggest enemy to the Christians. And Paul is saying, you have heard my conversation in the past. So therefore, the, the gospel message that I bring to you, this message of that these false people are trying to taint, are trying to trouble, or trying to pervert, This message is not my own message because you know my life. You know that I went around persecuting the church. I was its greatest enemy. So there's no way that this is my message that I'm giving to you that I thought of by my own line of thinking. He's saying there's no way that the gospel message was through his own reasoning or through his own thinking. Uh, he says, I violently opposed the church. He even in Acts chapter 7, the fact that he would see people die in front of him. He held the coats for the one that, the, the one that stoned Stephen. Uh, the fact that you could visibly see. Now, I'm not saying if you saw anyone die, it would be, it would be a, a traumatic experience. But the fact that he watched firsthand with no remorse, uh, but only to joy to, uh, to further, verse 14... The Jews religion. This was Paul. This is what he did saying, that's why this message is not that I thought of just one day as I'm walking, killing people. This was the message that God gave to him. So number one, Paul refutes that his gospel message was uh, from himself, from his own line of thinking or reasoning. Number two, you're listening. Great. This is intro. Hope you're enjoying it so far. Paul, Paul refutes that the idea of the gospel, of his gospel was derived from From others. This is verse 16 and 17. We'll look here into verse 16 and 17. Uh, Paul says, uh, where's verse 16? It's right here. Did I tell you verse 16? That's what I told you. Yeah, uh, towards the end, uh, to preach any among the heathen. Here it is. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So Paul is saying, I didn't consult any man or I didn't even go to Jerusalem. So he's saying there's no way that my message that I've been telling the church of Galatia is derived from other people or others from Jerusalem. He conferred with no man, no flesh and blood. And in fact, it even goes on in verse number 18, uh, that he was there for three years after Paul's conversion before he even traveled to Jerusalem. So the, the two references to Jerusalem that we're seeing in these two passages, uh, there must be some type of uh, idea that suggests uh, that the, some people in verse number 7, who are perverting the gospel, we know that the bad people. There must be some type of idea that Paul is keeps telling them, I did not get this from Jerusalem. Because Paul mentions it twice through his word. Are we following along here? Uh, that's what Paul says. I didn't even go to Jerusalem. It's important to him that he keeps mentioning that, uh, which would... Because he's arguing the fact that if he went there, maybe this false group of people would also say, well, he got his message from Jerusalem, and that's where we got our message from. It's just the headquarters of all Christianity, and this is the same thing what well, I'm telling you as what Paul's telling you, but he just left some stuff out. So Paul's making it very clear that he didn't get his message from the other Christians in Jerusalem, that he gets it uh, first and foremost by the risen Savior Jesus. And then lastly, in our uh, rebuttal, in our reclaims, refuting, Uh, Paul's claims refuting uh, this false gospel, where he got it from, uh, verse number 7, people. Paul shows that his God-given gospel checks out with a message that the other apostles received. Verse 18, he mentions Peter. 19, he mentions James. And verse number 22, he mentions the churches of Judea, uh, who later, verse 24, because of his reclaimed life, They praise God through Paul because of. Uh, So Paul here did not receive his message from any other apostle, but from the risen Savior. And it checked out from the other apostles that Christ also specifically told them the risen message, the Savior, uh, the, the message of Jesus, the gospel. So Paul here is just trying to get us to realize uh, it's not what Paul thinks or what others have told him. His message is literally by the risen King, Savior, Jesus Christ. That is where he is emphatically preaching his word, his gospel. And so Paul made it clear to refute those false claims. So now we can, with that aside, but also with that helping us, Not just a sigh like we just had to get that by rid of. That's what Paul made known to us. But now here we get into the gospel. God's amazing grace. Who Paul was. Verse 13 and 14, we read it. But now we're going to look a little bit more. We're going to expound upon it. For ye have heard of my conversation in times past in, Jews, in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure, he uses the word beyond measure, not just if there was a, a minimal or a, a, a regular amount of persecution, Paul went above that. He went beyond measure. That word beyond measure means intensely or violently persecuting the, the cross or uh, the, the Christians. Uh, we know later on, uh, all, that, all that live in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That was Paul's job before he was converted. He made sure everyone in Christ suffered that persecution. Ironically, he also penned those words later on in Timothy. But that was Paul. He made sure people suffered persecution for following the Lord. And it says in verse number 14 that it, that he profited in the Jews' religion. Here's an interesting fact about that. That word profited means advancing. He advanced the Jews' religion. So much of the advancing it means to the point of uh, like uh, to the point of chopping, as if you were to go to the deep jungles of South Central America and you use a machete and you chop down the thick weeds and anything standing in front of you to make a path. That was what Paul did, not for Christianity in these days here before he was saved. That's what Paul did in the Jews' religion. So Anyone in Christianity, he hauled them down. He chopped them. He destroyed the path in front of them if they stood for Jesus. He was hauling them away. He was, and he says, uh, and later on 14, uh, that uh, we're, sorry, there we are. Uh, uh, more exceeding, there we go there we go, here we go, here we go, above many my equals in mine own nation. Anyone else his age, he was more zealous than any of them at doing things of this sort for their their religion. And so Paul here is saying, I was more zealous than anyone my age, than anyone around me in my nation. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul was the greatest religious rule keeper of all time. But yet that did not make him right with God, and despite all of this, God still saves him and calls him to be the leader of, of, of the church of the faith. And it's just amazing Paul's testimony. And simply again, there's no other word for amazing, uh, for for grace, but amazing. To think of all what Paul's life was how he just despised and hated the Christians. And yet God uses that despite all of who Paul was and brings them to grace, brings them to uh, the faith in Jesus Christ. And another interesting study, uh, Paul obviously would refute Jesus as the son of God. And if you read in Acts chapter nine, when, Paul speaks, uh, when Jesus speaks to Paul on the road to Damascus, this is when he gets saved, Paul literally then refers him to the next verse as the son of God of God. Isn't that amazing? Someone just denying all existence in Jesus now instantly refers to him as the Son of God. And grace, it's that free unmerited favor of God and it works powerfully in the mind and on the heart to change lives. Some of of us may have some hard cases, maybe some family members, maybe someone that just is adamantly opposed to Christianity, opposed to Jesus. Let me uh, implore you to continue praying. Just like Paul was a hard case, the grace of God fell upon him and it can fall upon this community, it can fall upon a mother, a brother, anyone that needs the gospel who is a hard case. And through this, the clear example through Paul is that salvation is through grace alone and not through moral or righteous performance. Uh, No one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel, nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. I love how Evangelist Scott Polly puts it. It's going to get real good here. There was never a day that God started loving you, and there never will be a day where he stops loving you. He always loves you. He can't love you any more than he does right now, and he won't love you any less. That is our amazing God. That is everlasting love at its fullest. That is who God is for us, and it just simply is amazing to think of all of God's goodness and think about how good God is. Somebody stop and praise the Lord right now. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your love, and for praying in the middle of the service. we got a lot more to come to afterwards, but just stopping here and thanking you of who you are, Lord. The fact that you have loved us so much and given your life for us. We love you so much. May we live for you. Bless the rest of the sermon, please. Amen. Just want to stop and pray. God is good. Here we go. So that's what who Paul was. Next is Amazing Grace what God was doing. Verse number 15. Here's where it gets real good. We got some little babies in the room. This is just awesome. 115 says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Almost same testimony as Jeremiah, who was called and set apart inside the womb. It's a precious protective little uh, home for the baby inside the mother's womb. And it's a blessing when they come out of the womb and we get a hold of those precious little babies. But here it is, what that means. That means that the grace of God had been shaping and preparing him all of his life, this is Paul, for what God was going to call him to do from the baby in the mother's room. That is amazing. All of his Old Testament knowledge, his zeal, his training, the effort that he used to oppose God. God was using all of that to get him to a place where he needed him to be to advance the kingdom of God, to advance him, and that's where God is. God is always working. Uh, There's a beautiful song called All Along. Uh, Your hand has been guiding me, shaping my life to be a beautiful song. All along, you've led me through the things that you knew would make me strong. Your love has been there all along. Heavenly, you can testify in your life, maybe before salvation. You don't know why God would have put you through those things. But it was all along God was weaving and working and making an intricate piece, which is you for his grand purpose and just to God be the glory. And when we have the gospel in the right perspective, it gives us a, a pair of glasses that we can review our life and see how God has prepared us and shaped us, even through our weaknesses, our failures, our sins, even through all of that, like in Paul's life, when we see the gospel through our life, we look back and say, wow, God has been there all along to think of how he brought me through some scary times, sick times, sinful times and God works. He does that so we become a vessel of honor a vessel of his grace for others. You see it's never just for us it's for us for others and that's where Paul was. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Amazing grace what God was doing. The fact that God chose, prepared and called Paul not because Paul was pleasing to God but because it pleased God do so. And that's just another thing that we can't understand. It's just the fact that God is pleased when he loves us. God is pleased by giving us his grace and we thank him because of it. Uh, So it pleased God. This is how God has always worked. Uh, Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8 says, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor chose you, choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But here it is but because the Lord loved you. That's how God always works, because it pleases Him to love us. And even though we constantly, continuously sin, day after day, I heard uh, just a message this morning, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and with all thy mind. And the preacher said, I am embarrassed to let you know. And then I thought about that as well, and it would be the same case for me. But there has never been a moment in my life where I have loved God with all of my mind. If you think about that and let that sit in, how cluttered our mind is, not just with good things, but with all the junk of sin and everything else. we are commanded to love God with all of our mind, and yet we can't even do it for one minute because of our sinful state. And God knowingly knows that yet he still loves us and gives us grace. That's part of the reason why Paul was attacking this false gospel because we're just crushed under the weight of the law. We can't get it. We can't break it. We can't live in it. And yet we have God. That's why God sends us. His son. That's why he gives us his gospel because that is the only thing that can free us. And so Paul is, he's just, he's he's fevered trying to get these people to understand these thoughts here that God has always loved us. And verse number 16, uh, now going into 17. So it pleased God, verse 16, it pleased God to reveal his son in me so that, I added the word so, forgive me, so that I might preach him among the heathen. God revealed his son to Paul so so Paul could preach him among the heathen. That word heathen is the Gentiles. Uh, He went to the Gentiles. We know that was the other race other than Jews. Uh, That's where Paul went to. And so uh, so Paul went and preached there. So we can say this, God revealed Christ to Paul so that he could reveal Christ through Paul. And that is why God has revealed Christ to us, not just for our benefit, but so that we can reveal Christ through others by who we are, by what we do, and by what we say. That is why it's so important to be a witness, to declare the gospel. But may I equally add, to display the gospel. It's one thing just to go out and knock on a door and tell people about the Lord, but it's another thing for every single moment and every single day to live as a picture of grace for what God has done through us and we reveal that to others. And so we see here verse number 16 and 17, uh, Paul's own path of growth and discipleship. Uh, Verse 17, it says, and three, I'm sorry, that's verse 18, but neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were the apostles before me, But I went into Arabia, that's a desert east, it's just a foreign uh, land, east of Israel, uh, Jerusalem. Um, And we turned again into Damascus, that's also the place where he got saved. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Uh, Now we can assume Paul learned from God, he was chosen. Uh, This is something in the message that I'm going to call speculate. Can we all say speculate? It is not what the Bible is saying, but it leaves us three years What's oddly and interesting enough is how long were the disciples with Jesus? They were with him for three years. So after God calls Paul, this is me speculating. Don't say it's Bible. After God calls Paul, it would be make sense, the fact that Paul writes 13 letters. He had this knowledge of God. Sure, he knew the Old Testament. He knew all this. But I do believe that he was personally trained by the risen Savior. That's just speculation. Let's get back into the Bible. But what else do you think he was doing? Helping Walt Disney write Aladdin? I don't think he was doing that in Arabia. But anyways, a solitary time with God is fundamental to the Christian. But... The Christian life is not only a solitary one. Paul spent three years with with God. Uh, He spent three years in solitary time, and it's so important for Christians to have solitary time with the Lord, to have a walk with God. But that is a fundamental of the Christian faith. But also to add to that, the Christian faith is not a solitary one. Right after that, Paul goes to meet with Peter in Jerusalem. He does that not for... uh, Not for instruction, as he mentions. He does it for accountability and for unity. And that is why it's so important for Christians to be just gripped into the local church, to be just one one accord with believers, because the Christian life is not a solitary one. We are meant to do the Christian work in community. Uh, The disciples told Jesus, teach us to pray. They did everything together. And so we need to deeply root ourselves in the body of believers. A Christian life is to be rooted in God through Christ in unity and service to other believers that leads to praising God. Verse 24, and they glorified God in me. Why do they glorify God in me? Verse 23, but uh, they have heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And anyone who was in that state of reclaimed life, getting bought by Jesus Christ, redeemed, that is why we praise God through people. We see someone walk an aisle and we rejoice with them because their life has been changed by the glory of God. So they glorified God in me. So now as we close, I'm going back to verse number 10. You're listening great. This is is good. I enjoy this portion. You guys... I feel like the sermon's already going. It's already over. But maybe for you guys, you're thinking already over. You've been 35 minutes. So here we go. Uh, now we go back to Galatians 1.10. Uh, this, is, this is an area, I say this for last because it most affected, applied to my life. And I'll give a little bit of transparency here in just a bit. Uh, but Paul says in verse 10, for do I now persuade men or God or do I seek to please men for if I yet pleased Men, I should be. I should not be the servant of Christ. And so, Paul, right here, is. Uh, let me hold on one second. I get confused. I get discombobulated many chances. So let me go back. Let me rephrase ourselves. Uh, so Paul here is saying that he is uh, seeking his best. The, the people here in Galatia, the the, the 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 false prophets, the false Judaizers, they were telling Paul, telling the church of Galatia, that Paul was. Nothing more than a men-pleaser, a man-pleaser just doing things. And Paul says, he refutes that. He says, if I were a men-pleaser, I would not be the servant of Christ. And he goes on in other books to talk about how he's been tortured, stoned, how he was persecuted, beaten, shipwrecked. He said, if all these things were for a men-pleaser, I could have lived a happier life. But they were because he was a servant of Christ. So the gospel removes a man-pleasing spirit, which is the drive uh, to just win the approval of man. It replaces it with not needing to win the approval of man. And so to pack that all in into one statement, the gospel produces a confident, bold, fearless follower of Jesus. And that's what we see through Paul's life. He was able to boldly proclaim Christ because he wasn't a man pleaser, because he pleased the Lord. It pleased him to please the Lord. And if you were to take all the different types of uh, of verbiage the Bible uses uh, about pleasing man, there's a lot of material there. I'm not gonna go into too much of it, but it is a good study. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man bringeth a sneer. That's a trap. There's a surprising amount of just different stuff that when we fear, when we fear man, it's just not going to be a good life here. Uh, fear of people is the opposite of fear of God. When we have the fear of God, it does not simply mean to be frightened by him or to be scared of him. I've heard a great preacher, it was my, my home pastor, Pastor Tiramingi, he said, you, you move past the fear of God, meaning you're afraid of him, and you begin to fear God's tears, that you have disappointed him. And so uh, here, that fear of God, it, it frightened. It's not just a frightening, uh, but, Paul, uh, but Psalm says it best. It's to, it's to stand in awe. And the majestic power of God and to have communion with your heart to an almighty God. And that's that fear of the Lord. And God says, and Paul's saying, I don't have the fear of man. I have the fear of God. So here is a little bit lengthy of an article. If you'd allow me, I'm going to read it here. I'll try to break it down, but put on your thinking caps. The fear of man must refer to a view of people. This isn't in particular a person or a group of people that causes you, listen to this, to elevate their importance, to hold them in awe, and to crave their approval, and to fear their disapproval. For me personally, uh, my line of work is the ministry, and here you are listening to a message that I have the uh, ability and the privilege to preach, but a lot of things that I had to get out of my life was that fear of man. I would preach a message and want to please pastor. I would do ministry and want to make sure people were happy. And to an extent, I do believe that's okay. Obviously we understand this world that we live in, but so much so in my life that I more so seeked and craved the approval of men in order for me to continue than I ever did the approval of God. It continues here. It is a situation. Let me remind you a pastor right here for a second. Look at that pastor. He's here. No, that's what he always, he always just, well, I don't walk. This is the most walking I've ever done. It is, I can't, I'm getting dizzy. It is a, wait, where am I? It is a situation in which your desire for their blessing, this is man's blessing, amounts to adoration and worship in which you give some form of human approval rights and the power over your heart, here it is, that only God should have. It means that you will be devastated by the loss of their approval as if you felt criticized or condemned by God himself almighty. And so to take it away, the fear of man means to desire their blessing. The desire, Your desire for their blessing amounts to worship. And so in my life, I went through a season, it was a thick season of this in my life. And it leaves you with a constant state of seeking approval. And here's where it gets real good. We're closing up shop right now. But before we close, we're leaving you the best for last. So the, the seeking of the approval. And here's some other ways that we talked about the fear of man. Uh, Saul, this is not Saul changed to Paul. This is King Saul before King David. And Samuel, he says, I have sinned because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Samson. He gives in to Delilah because he he was afraid of losing her intimacy. Uh, Paul also mentions eye service in in Ephesians, Colossians, uh, and that's to do a job only to the approval of a boss or those watching over you. And that just brings to, obviously, uh, shoddy work. It brings to work that doesn't glorify God because you're doing it for man's sake, for eye serviceness. Uh, But here it is. In the gospel, trusting Jesus brings God's full, complete favor And approval. When we see God as believers, when we trust God as believers, God sees Jesus. And we're gonna look at Galatians here uh, 3 25 and 27, a couple chapters over. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Neither is there Jew nor Greek, neither is there bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. So as believers, those that have called upon Jesus Christ by his grace... Now, Jesus, we are one with Jesus. Another thing that we can't even fathom or understand, but once again, it's just amazing grace. We are seen as Jesus, and we know what God says when he saw Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verse 11, what did God say when Jesus got baptized and the dove descended upon him as the Holy Ghost? This is my beloved Son in whom... I am well pleased. Now God sees Jesus in us, so now I don't need to seek man's approval and man's pleasing in my life because I have Jesus reigning throughout my body, and when God sees me, he sees me and says, I am well pleased with David Nolan. Not because of my goodness, we looked at that on Wednesday, but because of his goodness, his righteousness. God is pleased with us through Jesus. And since God is pleased with us, now we can live in a way that pleases God. Romans 12:1 tells us this. Paul urges the Christians to sacrificially obey God and to be holy. And when we are wholly obeying God, we notice it's a reasonable service. But we also notice that it is acceptable unto God. That word means it's pleasing unto God. So to wrap it all up and to close and have some lunch. Man, day is getting better. Food. The Christian is assured of God's love and approval, and this is pleasing with God because of Christ in us. So the Christian now longs to obey God because of all what God has done for us, but not for himself. God, we long to please God uh, out of gratitude that he has already saved us. And now Paul lives, and he writes in verse number 10, Now I am a servant of Christ. That is why we serve Christ. It's out of gratitude of what he has done for us. No one compels and makes me do these things. And sometimes they they do. And that's because my heart is in the right place because I have abandoned God's promises of his goodness, of his grace. And I get on to think about my own self and pleasing people. And Paul says, as a servant of Christ, uh, that approval from God, it's liberating. It frees us to live a way which God approves of. And we don't live in God's way Of course, in order to become his child, we live in God's way because we are of gratitude for being his child. And so today, the gospel, it both gives us the powerful assurance and it also gives us the powerful motivation to live in obedience. So child of God, if you are a child of God, walk in obedience. If you are not a child of God, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, uh, today is a great day To choose him as your Lord and Savior. So we'll pray, have invitation, and have the Lord just speak to hearts through this time. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your goodness, your mercy. Uh, Lord, just your grace. It is simply, truly amazing. We love you so much. You have been so good to us. Uh, Lord, to stop and think of why you are good. It's only because you loved us, Lord. And you have loved us so much. We sing the song, uh, ere you knew us, Lord, you loved us. And just to think of uh, the fact that there was never a day where you started loving us, Lord, and there would never be a day where you stopped loving us. That should just uh, grasp us, Lord, inside, internally, to want to live for you out of complete gratitude of what you have done for us. And, Lord, I pray that you would work in this invitation, please, in Christ's name. As the panel begins to play, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, I would invite you just to walk forward. Myself, we have some men, some ladies up front. We can show you from the Bible how you can know heaven to be your home. Maybe you are a child of faith, child of God. How could you live your life so people would respect and praise God more because of God through you? Verse 24, Paul says, and they glorified God in me. Not that Paul wanted the glorification, but that they saw that changed life. What decision do you need to make, child of God, so more people can see that changed life in your your life, so people will glorify God. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's BBC, the number four, Me.org. May God bless you.